Good morning and welcome to Church on the Rock. We are so glad to have you here worshiping with us this morning. You know, it is important during this season to really stop and think about the true focus of the season because Jesus is the reason for this season. So we need to put all the materialistic things aside and really get our focus back to Jesus, who is the true true gift. Excuse me. Please come in with us and worship this, this morning. Thank you so very much.
and see what God has done. It's the center of the Christmas story where God literally left heaven and came to earth. 
because humanity had a problem we couldn't deal with on our own. Our sin had separated us from God. Our, our sin had caused untold suffering. Our sin is what causes people to die and grow old and be sick. But how many know God came to redeem us out from that? God came to buy us back. God came to make a way so our sins could be forgiven and atoned for. It is the purpose of Christ's birth. And today we give him praise. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. We bless him today. He is worthy of our praise. We're going to continue worshiping this morning, but we also want to make a place to pray for you. I don't know about you, but I need prayer every day. And if you want to remember, put somebody on your prayer list, put me on it. Because how many know life just goes better when God's in the middle of it? Sometimes we just need a fresh connection with God. And maybe you're here today and have needs in your life, someone you care about, uncertainties, whatever the case may be. Friend, I want to tell you, God is big enough and God cares. And this could be a miracle moment for you. We'll pray about anything this morning in your life or those you care about. But perhaps you're here today and the Christmas season just, it's kind of hard sometimes. I had a couple experiences this week where I just kind of got a little down about something. It was kind of silly. I knew it better, but it just kind of jumps on you sometimes. But you know, maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe you look back and it's more, more joy behind you than you see in front of you. You know, that can be dark sometimes. And God is a God of light. God is a God of joy. And uh, if you're here today and maybe you're in a little difficult spot in the holiday season, we'd be honored to pray with you because God wants us to have joy. How many know that? God wants us to have peace, and it's not conditioned on reindeer or elves. How many know it's conditioned on the reality of God and Christ? We'd be honored to pray with you today. So let's keep worshiping, Pastor Nick. Our prayer team's going to come to the front, and they're here for you. We'll pray with you about anything this morning.
Have a praise this morning. He's worthy, man.
Welcome to Church on the Rock. We are so glad you're here worshiping with us today. In the back of the chair in front of you, we have a lot of information about our church. Our inside look lets you know everything about who we are and what we believe in. Our ministry guide gives you plenty of ways to get connected through classes, small groups, and outreach opportunities. If you're a first-time guest, please fill out the white card in the seat back in front of you, drop in the offering, or you can bring it across the hall to the Connect Room where you'll receive a free gift bag. And don't forget about our coffee bar and snacks between Sunday services in the Connect Cafe. We are so glad you're here, and we hope you know there is always a place for you. Here's what's happening at Church on the Rock. Women's Conference, It Changes Everything, is March 2nd to the 4th. Sign up in the foyer. This holiday season, we encourage you to participate in Christmas outreach. This week, you can be a part of our Nursing Home Christmas Party at the Heritage Plaza, Monday at 5.30 p.m. If you have sponsored a child from our Angel Tree, make sure to turn in your gifts to the church as soon as possible. Join us for our annual Christmas Eve candlelight service from 6 to 7 p.m. This is a special time for families to come together and celebrate this holiday season. And join us Christmas Day for our worship service at 11 a.m. as we commemorate the birth of Christ. I want to give you an update on our Imagine More building expansion. It's been a comprehensive plan to expand our entire facility to enable us to reach more people for Christ. Uh, the last stage of it, the sanctuary expansion, is the piece that we're working on now so we can present the entire process to the city at one time for approval. And hopefully that'll be completed soon. Again, our goal is to break ground in the spring. We've got almost $800,000. Our goal is to have at least a million before we break ground. Uh, the project will probably be somewhere near three and a half million, so the more we give, the less money we'd have to borrow. So I'm going to give you my commitment that I'm going to do my best as your pastor to manage our money in such a way that we'll be able to save as much as we can from our regular giving, our tithes and offerings, plus designated giving, and hopefully we'll uh, be able to knock this thing out and get going in the early spring. Thanks for what you're doing, and if God's blessed you, it could be, so you can be a blessing to imagine more as we reach more people for Christ. Thanks. Amen. How many people are happy to be in the house of the Lord today? We are glad that you're here. It's a little cold outside. How many people know the last 24 hours has been a little unusual? How many people are fans of the 72 degrees? What about the 27 degrees? Ooh, I'm a, I'm a 72 person. 
Anyways, we are glad that you are here today. And uh, next weekend, as we know, is Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. How many people are excited about it? Some of y'all, I think some of y'all need to buy some presents. Y'all are like, oh my gosh, I only have a week left. Uh, but here's the deal. Saturday night, Christmas Eve, we will have our normal Christmas Eve service. It will be from 6 o'clock to 7 o'clock. It's a candlelight service. Every year we do this, and I'm telling you, this is a great way to include your family in the real Christmas story, which is the worship of Christ. Amen? And uh, also Sunday morning, Christmas Day, we'll have one service, not two. It's from 11 to 12 o'clock. So we encourage you, one of those days next weekend, come and, and hang out and let's worship God because He is the reason for the season. Um, if you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 2, looking at verse 10 and 11. And we're going to look at the last part of one of the accounts of the Christmas story. This is about the wise men or the magi. It says, when they saw the star, referring to the wise men, it says, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, verse 11. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasure, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. How many people know the Christmas story is the greatest story ever told? It really is. 2,000 years ago, God stepped into time. He sent Jesus to redeem all of us of our sin. Every person in here, we could give God some praise just for that, right? Jesus was sent for us so we could have restoration, so we could have eternal life. And I love this story, and I, and I love this part, this part particularly about the wise men or the magi, some translations say. But the Bible says earlier in this story that, that they were from the east. They were either from Persia or Babylon, somewhere like that. But they saw this star in the sky that was brighter, and it was a different star than they had ever seen. And something was put upon their heart. You know, it was the Spirit of God that said, follow that star. And, and most theologians think that where they were located and how long it would have taken them to get to where Jesus was could have been upwards of a year, maybe even two years of traveling to get to Jesus. How many people know that's dedication? That's not just a few minutes away. Like, they had to go a ways to get to Jesus. And what else I love about these magi is when they got to Jesus, they brought him something. Number one, they brought him worship. How many people know he's still worthy of worship today? He was worthy 2,000 years ago, he's worthy today, and he'll be worthy tomorrow. He's worthy of our worship. And the second thing they brought is they brought him gifts. For a year or two, they are carrying this gold and frankincense and myrrh because they want to give something to Jesus. And these gifts at the time, they were the best gifts you could give. They were gifts for royalty because Jesus is royalty. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And listen, here we are about to celebrate uh, Christmas and, and Christmas Eve and all these things. And I want to encourage us, let's give Jesus a good gift this season. Let's give him our worship. Let's give him our praise. And let's give him a good gift of our tithe and our offerings. How many people know Jesus has blessed us and we want to bless him this season? Listen, God bless you as you give. And uh, we're going to continue in worship in just a moment. Silent night, holy night, holy song, holy bride, Tender 
a moment just as we honor God and just say, Lord, that we love you. Could you just say that? Say, Lord, I, I love you. That was strange to me as a boy. I, I thought God was far away. He was the man upstairs. But as I've grown, I've learned to address him as my father. We love you today, Lord. We're grateful for your kindness to us. Everything we have and everything we are and everything we'll ever become is because of you. And I just pray, Lord, that your presence would be especially near today. We just give you the right and the privilege, Lord, to, to change us on the inside. Welcome today. Let's sing another, another worship song. And all things have passed away Your love has stayed the same Your constant grace remains the cornerstone The things that we thought we this morning. We just bless him. He's worthy of our praise. I tell you, neighbor, you are glad they're here today and wish somebody Merry Christmas. Well, how many are finished with your shopping? Let me see your hand here. All finished. 
wait a minute now. Is that all? You're all finished. You got my present, right? No. How many have got a bit more to go? Let me see your hand. Yeah. How many hadn't done any shopping yet? You're in trouble. <laughs> Let's turn our hearts towards the Bible. Uh, Mark chapter 12, I'm going to finish a series we've been doing the last several weeks called The Power of Love. And love has an inherent power in it that can conquer the hatred in the world. Whether it's the hatred across political lines, whether it's hatred that has somehow arisen in families, the hatred from an ugly divorce, the hatred of, from neighbors in a neighborhood. How many know the power of love can change things? If you cut yourself and you put some, some antibiotic cream on it, how many know there's power in that ointment to, to heal what's going on there? If you have a stick of dynamite, that, that dynamite, we might just toss it around and back and forth and nothing happens. But if you light it, it has power to, 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 to bring an explosion, to cause change to come. Well, love is like that. Mark chapter 12, Jesus was asked in verse 28, one of the scribes asked Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? If you're like me, I'm a bottom line person. I, I want to see the big picture. I want to know the most important thing. And Jesus said this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's number one focus of our life. But number two is here's our focus today. The second commandment is this, You shall, say it with me, Love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus said, There is no other commandment greater than these. And that's what we've been talking about for several weeks now. Last uh, time we talked about loving the unlovable. Unlovable is not just people we don't like, but it's people that are hard to love for whatever reason. And Jesus gave us a tremendous example. We're going to continue looking at the example of Christ today about how he loved the unlovable. And we're going to talk about Christ, how he loved people who were rejected, people who were in distress, and people who had failed. Let me say it again. Jesus had the capacity. He loved people who were rejected. He loved people who were deeply distressed or in great trouble. And he loved people who were, had failed. And there's kind of a flip side to this message. This is not just how I'm supposed to treat people and love people that are rejected, love people in trouble, but how many know God loves us? When we see Jesus loving a rejected person, we know that when we're rejected in our darkest moment and we've been pushed away, God will never push us away. When we see Jesus reaching out to people in trouble, we can know and have assurance that when I'm in trouble, Jesus wants to reach out to me. So that's where we're going this morning. And I, I want to begin in, in John chapter 9 about first how he loved people who were rejected. It's a very interesting passage. Jesus heals a man that had been born blind. Now, if you can imagine, we don't know quite how old he is, but he had never seen the, the sun come up. He'd never seen the beauty of a sunset. He could smell a rose, and people would, would, would talk about it, but all he knew was the fragrance. He didn't know what the pink or the red petal looked like. He didn't know what the, uh, what the, the, the sun shining on a duck's uh, wing and the glistening of those beautiful feathers looked like. He'd never seen a thing. He'd never seen a child smile. But he had a miracle. Jesus touched this man's life. It, it, it was not, he didn't have surgery. A miraculous act happened. Well, John chapter 9, we pick up the story, and this man, arguably, it's the most excited day of his life. I mean, if you can imagine, nothing had been more important and profound. Well, they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, and the Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man had been blind and could see. So they called in his parents. Now, 
the undercurrent here is Jesus has come against the, 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 the Jewish political class, the, the religious class. And not because Jesus was trying to be mean, but, but these people didn't have the essence of loving God. They were more concerned about prestige and power of religion and, and its influence over people and, and what it brought to them. So they were quite jealous of Christ. In verse 19, they asked this young man, or the parents rather, was he born blind? And if so, how can he now see? Well, they knew he was born blind, and they said, we know he's our son, but, 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 but we don't know who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. They might scratch your head and say, what in the world are mom and dad doing? It tells us very clearly. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who denounced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah or, or, or the Savior would be expelled from the synagogue. This is excommunication. Now, that doesn't mean much today in today's world. The New Testament does teach excommunication. It teaches a, a form of church discipline that an unrepentant person could be excluded from the fellowship. But it was always redemptive. It was never to be a, a, a perpetual punishment. But that wouldn't work in America today. Because in America today, if you get expelled from a church, if you're disciplined for some reason, uh, the church right down the street will welcome you with open, open arms. <laughs> I've seen this happen. Uh, I knew of a church that uh, they had this piano player, and boy, she could, she could make it jump. But uh, she had some issues going on in her life. The elders talked to her, and she pretty much just said, forget you. And she went down the street to another church, and that church said, oh, we're so glad you're here. We've been praying for a pianist. We believe God sent you here. So, so how many know excommunication doesn't have the same impact in today's world? But life for Jewish people was centered around the synagogue. Their life revolved around it. To be excommunicated meant that not only could you not attend services, and their services were not just a weekend experience. They would have daily prayers. It was the center of their life. They were the chosen people. There was an exclusiveness to the Jewish race, and that also meant no interaction with other Jews. Well, how many know if you're in a closed society, it's just people that are ethnically like you, you've got real problems. <coughs> Excommunication could be 30 days as a punitive measure. It could be a little longer. In some cases, it could be permanent. And it's perhaps that that's what they were talking about. They were threatening all because they hated Jesus. Now, uh, I want to ask you this question, though. How do you think this man felt when his parents wouldn't stand up for him? His parents rejected him. Now, they still loved him, but they were not willing to put it on the line for their son. And the religious leaders that he looked up to all of his life... The men that had opened the Torah, the men that had read Scripture, the men that had taught him how to live, that had patted him on the back as a boy, they're rejecting him as well. Now, this is where we're looking now. Verse 24, they called this young man to Christ the second time in front of the Pharisees. They called him who'd been blind, and then they threw him out of the synagogue. He was pretty direct with them, but verse 35 is where I focus. When Jesus heard what had happened, what did he do? He... He found the man. Can you say that with me? Uh, implicit in that is he, he went looking for him. He, was, he didn't just by chance run across him at the mall, but Jesus was deliberate in his pursuit of the man. And he asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? And this young man said, I believe. And he worshiped Jesus. Now, to be rejected means you're not wanted. It means you don't fit in. It means you don't meet the requirements. And because of that, you're excluded or you're thrown away. Perhaps everyone remembers the, the pain of the playground. How many know you, you, you chose sides and you picked teams? 
And if it was an athletic event, I was, I was pretty wiry, and I could run like a rabbit as a kid, and, and I was very athletic, and I would be chosen, you know, first, second, third to be on the team. And that feels great. But how does it feel if you're a little slow, if you can't hit the ball, and you don't get picked for the team? I mean, after all, there can only be nine players on the baseball team, and, and here you are standing by yourself, and you're just kind of left to watch or wander home. And I guarantee you, some of us in the room today, it may not have been the baseball team, but there was another experience we've had in life. Maybe you wanted to get into medical school and couldn't pass the test. Maybe you applied for a job, and, and you just didn't fit their criteria. Perhaps it was economic-based or whatever the case is. We, 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 people are rejected for a lot of reasons. I want to kind of illustrate this morning's message with some, some movies, perhaps that you've seen. But if you, you saw the movie October Sky, it was a true story. And it was in, I think it was in the Virginia, uh, Virginia's in the 50s. And it was a coal town, a coal mining town. And it was about these three high school boys. And these three high school boys, they were, they were all destined to work in the coal mines. But one of them had this dream. It was when Sputnik, the first Russian spacecraft that was circling the earth. And he said, I'm going to build a rocket. The only problem was, is he was not smart enough in math to figure out what kind of fuel to use. So what he did is he wanted to find the smartest kid in school. And he found this kid, let's just call him a nerd. And this kid, uh, uh, the cafeteria scene opened up. And well, here all these kids are just, you know, talking to each other across the table. But there's this one, this kid, sitting by himself about six seats away from everybody else. And the star of the movie goes up and sits by him to get some information. And all the kids in that cafeteria look at him and go, <gasps> and they were just like, you would dare talk to him? Your social life is now going to be over. Well... It's, a, it's, it's kind of a funny movie, but this kid had learned to develop a hard exterior, and he was just smarter than all of them, and he kind of walled people off. You see, when we're rejected in life, we build barriers so people can't hurt us again. If you were to ask me about my, my past, I would say rejection is one of the biggest things that I've fought with. I think it's one of the things that drove me to be successful. Uh, it didn't happen intentionally or on purpose. Nobody tried to hurt me. But let me know life just happens sometimes. And rejection comes into our world. Um, uh, we, we're able to avoid um, perhaps the greatest tragedy that could come to a household uh, if you have girls in it. I had two girls, and they both tried out to be the cheerleaders. Well, how many know if you've got 15 or 20 girls trying out and they can only have 10 on the team, you're going to have some crying little girls because they all got up and they all put their makeup on and they all jumped and they all smiled at the judges. But when they posted the names on the door at school, how many know somebody's going to go home crying? We're talking about rejection. And listen, it's just part of the world we live in today. Our society's tried to respond to that by just giving everybody a trophy, but that doesn't spur people on to excellence and success. But uh, in Rejection, there, there's another movie that, that paints this, this idea and what it does to people. Uh, it was a Clint Eastwood movie. He was the director, and it was called Trouble with the Curve. And he's this old kind of, you know, he's, he's in, uh, way up in his 70s, and he's a baseball scout, and he's losing his eyesight. And he has a daughter in her early to mid-30s, and she's a lawyer. And uh, the, as the movie unfolds, obviously they love and care about each other. But when the girl was young, mom died, and Clint didn't know how to raise this little girl, so he let an uncle that didn't even know her raise her, and she took it as rejection from her daddy. And for the rest of her life, she was trying to get daddy's approval. 
She told him, and he didn't even understand this. She said, I've gone to therapy for 10 years trying to figure out why you didn't love me. She had chosen a career in law, not because she loved it, but because she wanted to make her daddy happy. It's something that touches the deepest part of our soul as human beings. Well, I want to suggest to you that this blind man could have had similar feelings. I mean, who would have thought that the religious people in your life, the people that were supposed to hold your hand in God's hand and make a connection, who would have thought they would have belittled you to the point of excommunicating you from the house of God simply because you were healed by someone they were jealous of? It struck this man's core deeply. But what Jesus did is Jesus reached out to this blind man when his mom had turned him away, his dad had turned him away, and he loved him, come on, when others wouldn't love him. And I'm going to encourage you, this is a picture for us, how you and I should be in the world today. There's another movie I, 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 I enjoyed. It was called 42. It was about Jackie Robinson, the first African-American ball player. And it was his story about how he entered the world when uh, white guys were the only ones that played Major League Baseball. And this one portion of the movie stands out to me. His teammates had a problem with the racial issue. Listen, America was a, was a troubled place. But in the movie, in this particular scene, the shortstop on the team had, was getting hate mail from his own hometown about, you know, you shouldn't even be playing on the team and blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. Well, lo and behold, they play near the hometown. He knows all his family and friends are in the stands. Jackie Robinson knows first, is on first base. And before the game starts, as they're warming up, he runs from shortstop to first base, and he puts his arm around Jackie, and they just had a little conversation. And he knew the people in the stands were having to come to grips with it, but what he did is he chose to love someone that was hard to love. How many know hard to love people is not just because of what they've done? How many know you don't choose to be born white, black, or green? How many know you're just born into this world? But oftentimes people are hard to love because culture and society sets boundaries and pressures on us and stigmatizes things. I'll tell you, friends, but when you love somebody, when you put your arm around Jackie Robinson, I want to tell you, friends, it is redemptive. It is healing to the person. It is healing to you. It opens, come on, the, the hearts and the minds of people to the love of a loving Heavenly Father. Uh, I, I've been proud of my children all my life, as every parent is, but two things stand out to me uh, about my kids. The first one was my oldest son, John. He was, a, he was a great soccer player. It was some of the great memories I have in my life was just watching him kick that ball down the field. And, and he could almost score without anybody's help. But uh, when he was in the 12th grade on his team, there was a boy that had a physical handicap. And he ran with, kind of drug his leg when he would run. And I would watch my son. He had a chance to score, but he would pass the ball to this little boy who had the guts to be out on the field and play but would often be excluded because he wasn't good enough. My daughter Rebecca did the same thing when she was a little girl in early elementary age. Uh, she was the best reader in her little class, and we'd get all the points, and Dad would be proud. You know how proud the parents are. But what made me the proudest was is there was a little handicapped boy, and his name was Billy. Well, guess who got to be the big sister to Billy in her school? It was Rebecca. Because Rebecca had a tender, sensitive heart, come on now, for people who didn't fit for whatever reason in the world. And can I tell you, that's the heart that God wants to have for us. He feels that way towards us in our weakness, but he also wants us to treat people the same way. Come on, give him a good hand today. Jesus loves those that are rejected. 
Matthew chapter 9, let me give you another one. Jesus loves people that are in distress. Now, to be in distress, it means to be in serious trouble. It means to be in adversity, hardship, suffering. Matthew chapter 9, this is typically Jesus. Um, he traveled through all the towns and villages of the area announcing the good news about the kingdom. And look at verse 36. When he saw the crowds of people, masses of people, in many cases there would be thousands, two feeding accounts, there were likely 20,000 people that were gathered there. But he sees this multitude, and notice what it said. He had compassion on them. Now, compassion is what I'm looking for. A compassion is a, a feeling of empathy. It's a feeling of caring, but it's coupled with action. I mean, it's not enough just to feel bad because somebody's having a hard time. Compassion reaches out. Compassion acts. He had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless. Now, can you imagine looking at a crowd of people and describing them as being confused, helpless? Other translations say harassed. They were hurting. They were aimless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, I suggest to you this crowd was filled with all different types of people. How many know poverty can cause you to be in, in, in great hardship? But how many know you can be driving a Mercedes and filing bankruptcy next week, and you're in hardship too? I mean, you can't just, hardship is not just an economic issue. It's a life issue. Some of these people were sick. Some were all alone. Perhaps some of them had lost a spouse, or some of them, their spouse had divorced them and thrown them out. They felt helpless. Some had a terrible fear of the future. Some had creditors that were hounding them. How many know we don't, we don't always have to figure out uh, why someone is where they are, but what God's looking for in our hearts is just being willing to care for them. Uh, how many know it doesn't take a Bible college degree to help someone that's hurting, someone that's in distress, someone that's troubled? You, you don't have to get a Bible school education. All you have to do is let compassion, let the love of God just cause you to do something. A couple of weeks ago, I preached the first part of this message, Loving the Unlovable, and uh, I was supposed to meet my wife after church, and we had separate cars, and, and uh, she, she was late. I said, where are you? She said, did you not see the man standing on the side of the interstate with the sign saying he was in trouble, he needed a little help? I went to Denny's and got him something to eat. Now, having said that, I am not encouraging you to give money or anything to everybody that holds up a sign, because I'm telling you from experience... I bet you probably four out of five of those folks are not. Come on, they're just hustling and panhandling. We've done a little follow-up on this. I fully understand that. But the problem is I have a difficult time figuring out the one who's generally in trouble. I can't decide it by what's on their sign. They all say God bless. They, you know what I mean? I mean, they all have the right verbiage on their sign. They all, I can't base it on the way they look. I can't base it on the color of their skin. But maybe the Holy Spirit can lead me not just to that person, but how many, listen, how many know if you have a good friend and he or she winds up on the front page of the newspaper in an orange jumpsuit, they're in trouble. And they could have been making a quarter million dollars a year. They don't, they're not, the, the poverty is not their problem. They did something else and now they're in trouble. Or maybe they're, maybe they're, maybe, maybe, maybe they're driving, you know, his Cadillac and hers, and they just decide they've had enough of each other. But she signed a prenuptial agreement or vice versa, and now one of them are on the street, and now there's kids and everybody, and people are choosing sides. I'm telling you, people that hurt 
don't just need you to pick them, their side over somebody else, but they do need you to do what Jesus did. Come on now. And reach out to people that are confused, that are hurting, that are helpless, that are in trouble, and to do what we can. It is what Christ did, and it's what we should do. Now, I want to make a statement, and, and I want to prove this to you. Jesus notices when we help people that are in trouble. And let me underscore that if I can. Jesus notices... Every little act, every little thing. Jesus notices when you pray for someone. He notices when you slip a 5 or a 10 or a 20 out of your pocket and nobody else sees and you give it to somebody simply because the Lord nudged you to do that. Jesus knows when you adopted someone under the angel tree. He knows when you put a, a couple dollars in the globe for the buy Bibles. He knows when you, you know, when you, when you give money to the little cans we get for the poor kids. And he knows all these things. You say, well, how do you know that, preacher? I'll tell you. I want to give you a picture. It's Matthew 25. It is a picture of life between earth and eternity. It is a picture of every human being that's ever lived on this earth. It is a picture of every person that's ever born in any nation, any period of time. They're all here in this massive crowd. And the scripture says when the Son of Man, that's Jesus, comes in his glory, he'll sit upon his glorious throne. Now this is a picture not of Christ in the manger. This is a picture of Christ, the judge of the earth. Verse 32, all nations will be gathered in his presence. Hillary Clinton will be there. Donald Trump will be there. You'll be there. The guy that drives Air Force One, he'll be there. The guy that, that uh, put air in the tires on Air Force One, he'll be there. It is irrespective of our role in society. It is the fact that we were born a human being in the image of God, that we will one day stand before God. And this is the scene as it unfolds. The king will say to those on his right hand, what he's done now, he's separating people. You that are on my right hand, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. There is a reality after death that transcends anything we've imagined. Now, we're used to separating people today. If we wanted to today, we could put the Arkansans over here and the Texans over here and, and those from another state over there. We could put the women over here. We could put the men here. And we can put those that are in the middle over there. I mean, in America, we have a third choice now. We could put African Americans over here. We could put Hispanics here. We could put Caucasians over. We separate. This is how politicians, you know, kind of get us against each other and we lose our common sense of identity as human beings. But this separation is based on something different. Verse 35 In the first person, Jesus said, I was hungry. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. Now, I don't know about you, but I needed not only my coat but a blanket when I got in my car this morning. It was cold outside. <laughs> but, but yesterday, it was so hot. I was working in my garden yesterday, just raking up leaves and stuff, and I got to sweating. I took my shirt off, and, and it was hot. And I thought, man, it's 75 degrees. What if it was 100 degrees out here? To get a cool drink when you're hot and thirsty. Could it be as simple as you got your cooler and you're going to the lake or wherever you are, you're just in your car, and there's guys that are paving, they're working on the side of the road, and someone's thirsty and you gave them a drink? 
Could it be that as we go and we dig water wells for people in Mexico that don't have fresh drinking water and you just give a five or a ten or a hundred or you go, could it be that Jesus sees this? It's possible. Not just possible, but probable. Jesus said, I was a stranger and you invited me in your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. Have you noticed the little baskets in the, in the lobby where just a little sign above it says, put in an old coat or an old sweater, something's in good shape, and then we'll give it to somebody that's in need? I wonder if this fits in that category. I don't know about you, but I'm ashamed to say how many jackets I've got in my closet. And I got convicted. I was preaching to myself in the first service. So I'm going home and I'm going to get one of those jackets because every sermon is really a guy talking to himself in the presence of other people. You do understand that, don't you? Um, but I wonder, you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. Jesus said, I was in jail and you visited me. Well, righteous people will say, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or, or show you hospitality? When did we give you clothes? When did we ever see you sick or in prison? And Jesus Christ said this, I tell you the truth. And you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters. You were doing it to me. What does that mean? When you help someone that's in trouble, when you help someone that's in distress, this is not just, you can see these, they're not just economic issues. Now, many of them are, but these are life issues for people that are in trouble. Um, I, 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 I'm, very, I'm, very, I'm very honored to work with the people that I work with pastorally in our church. This morning, uh, one of our pastoral team, uh, Sharon Omer, Pastor Mike's wife, and uh, she, Mike was not here. They were supposed to take the weekend off. I, I try to make sure our staff gets out of the building every couple, few, few, few weeks there so they don't get burnt out. Anyway, she was supposed to be off. I said, what are you doing here this morning? And she said, the angel tree presents have not all been received and given out, and I wanted to make sure that those kids got their present at Christmas. Now, that's not just a job. Come on now. It's the heart of God. I'm very proud of my wife. I'm going to show you a little picture here. By the way, she's in Houston this morning at her nephew's wedding. But this is a garbage dump in southern Mexico. We have missionary. We look for apostolic people in nations, an apostolic leader that has the ability to influence a nation or large parts of it. And we're part of a team there, Larry Myers, and we have people that we work with in the southern part of Mexico. Well, anyway, they've planned a trip to the Lacandone jungle in, uh, uh, in January, uh, Pastor Travis raised some money. They built a church in the jungle. They're going to do a women's conference and things. And she's presenting her budget for it. And she said, uh, uh, one of our stops is going to be, we're going to go by a garbage dump because there's Christians that are there and they're worshiping the Lord. And there's a lot of people who need Jesus. So our first request was, we want to make sure we have money. We want to bring at least 100 pair of shoes and at least 100 sets of clothes so we can give them to people that live there that nobody knows and you'll never see again. Our second request was, we want enough money to be able to buy rice and beans for all the people that come to all the conferences because they live from day to day. Are you with me? Why do we do that? Well, there's poor people everywhere in the world, and this is a part of what they do. They're not just going to the dump. But we make sure that when we try to reach out that we don't want to neglect, come on, the least of these. Because Jesus said, whatever you did to the least, least of these, 
you did to me. People in distress may be hard to love. I guarantee you if you went down to that, to that dump, they, they might be dirty and smell. But your old friend that you know that drives the nice car and has had the company but is now wearing an orange jumpsuit, I guarantee you everybody has left him or her. I guarantee you they're by themselves. I guarantee you they're in trouble. And they are just as hard to love as somebody that may be living in the dump. I'm preaching better than you're amening this morning. The situation may make us uncomfortable, but can I tell you this? Love them anyway. It's what Jesus did, and it's the embodiment of loving our neighbor. Come on, give the Lord a, a good hand today. <laughs> Let me give you the third one, and this really identify with. Jesus loved people who failed. And again, this is a two-sided two message. The first is that would hopefully compel us to reach out to those that have failed in some way, but also that God, come on, reaches out to us, you and I, when we fail. Matthew 26, I call it the Bible's greatest recorded failure. Matthew 26, Peter declares, now this is just before the, Jesus was, was crucified, uh, the last day of his freedom. Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never leave you. And Jesus said, Peter, this very night, in other words, it's like the afternoon or the evening, this very night before the rooster crows, you're going to deny three times that you even knew me. Now, how many roosters crow early in the morning? And that's when Jesus' fake trial started early in the morning. In the middle of the night, they were taking him through the process. And he said, before the roosters start crowing, Peter insisted, no, even if I've got to die with you, I'm never going to deny you. And a little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter. This is after two denials. He said, you must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. And Peter swore, I don't know who Jesus is. In verse 75, suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you'll deny three times that you even know me. And what did he do? The Bible said he went away weeping bitterly. He was a part of the inner circle of Christ. He was the macho man. He was the tough guy. He'd made his promise, but yet he failed. I mean, when we fail, we feel like quitting. And if nobody's there to encourage us, we may quit. If nobody's there to reach out their hand to us and give us another chance. Another movie, one of my old movies I've watched many times, The Natural, is a Robert Redford movie. It's a baseball movie. I doubt it was true, but he was this, you know, superstar when he was young, and he went to play Major League Baseball, and he made a bad mistake, and long story short, as he entered the Major Leagues in probably his mid to late 30s, and, and, and he, he, he becomes a superstar overnight. I mean, everything he's doing triples home runs. Everything is working great. The team is, is, is now from the bottom to the top, but all of a sudden, he hits a slump. Of course, the ladies would like this in the middle of his slump. He's striking out every time. He's grounding out to the catcher. I mean, no, that's not very good. Life's not good. And then, of course, the little romantic scene comes up. His childhood sweetheart is in the stands, and he didn't know she's there. And she's dressed in this white dress, and the sun shines on her, and he looks up, and, and then he gets up, and he hits a home run. I mean, it's kind of a reason you go to movies, feel good. But after the movie's over, not my wife now. She likes movies that have you in tears and your guts are falling out when it's over. I leave, okay? I don't <laughs> can't deal with it. But, 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 but Robert Redford's talking to her after the game, and, and he said, why, why did you come? 
And she said, I didn't want to see you fail. Everybody needs somebody like that in life. I don't care if you've just, if your business has gone bankrupt, if you've lost your car, if you fail the MCAT and now you can't go into medical school, if you, if you, if you fail morally, if your marriage failed, and it's awkward when you go around kids and in-laws and former in-laws, you don't even know who to call anybody anymore. Everybody, listen, everybody likes a winner, but most failures lose their friends. People who fail need someone to help them get back up, not push them down, not keep them down. And that's what Jesus did. Mark 16, after the resurrection, an angel on behalf of Christ said this, Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter. Now listen, there were ten faithful disciples still left. They didn't mention them. There were hundreds of other disciples, but the one person that the angel mentioned to be sure and bring back was the one guy who had just failed miserably. Go get him, and you'll, find, you'll see Jesus just as he told you before he died. Well, guess who got to preach the great message on the day of Pentecost? It was Peter. Guess who wrote two books of the Bible? Peter. Guess who was the leader of the Jewish church in Jerusalem? It was the biggest failure that the church ever knew. But Jesus reached out, come on, and he didn't leave him there. He used the humility that failure produced and caused him to be the voice on the day of Pentecost. How many know if God did that for Peter, he can do it for you and he can do it for me? And that's what's needed in America today. That's what, that's what unlovable people, that's what people that are hurt, people that are rejected, people in trouble. But people who fail like Peter, they don't need a hand of judgment. They need the hand of a friend to reach out and say, I still believe in you. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. He's, he's worthy of our praise. I want to show you a little video before we go home, and then we'll have a word of prayer before we dismiss. But uh, it's a video uh, about some of our church members. It's an interesting family, the Jurassis, uh, TJ and uh, Marsha, uh, just like you and I, ordinary good people. And uh, Marsha's a school teacher. And she, in her school experience, she, she obviously meets hundreds of kids, but there was one little boy that crossed her path that was in trouble. And I want you to see how the love of God worked through an unlikely situation to help somebody. I, I think it'll, you'll get more out of this than everything I've said so far. Take a peek. My name is Marcia Jirasi. This is my husband, TJ, and this is German Williams. Um, we met German back in 2014. He was a sixth grade student at Texas Middle School and I was a teacher there. Um, I was part of the first priority group um, sponsoring that club and he was part of that group and we were also involved in an organization called Wildlife. Um, I would come and pick up German on Friday nights and hang out with him. I met his family and his mom and um, that's kind of where we built a relationship and got to know him. Um, in 2015, um, the summer of 2015, July's, um, German's mom passed away and his um, home life became a little bit more unstable at that point. He had moved in with an aunt and um, she ended up becoming legally blind and then he moved in with a brother. Um, in September of this year we got a phone call from his brother and he was concerned about being able to take care of German anymore. 
um, worried about financially and just physically. And um, he pretty much called and asked if I was able to take care of him. Um, and we're kind of comfortable in our life, and uh, that was out of our comfort zone. I really wasn't sure what to do, so we talked about it, we prayed about it, and um, that's kind of as far as it went. We knew that the Lord kind of was telling us that, yeah, I think German's supposed to come live with us, but we didn't know how. It was kind of an impossible situation. Our home is not very big, and we don't have a lot of money, and um, there was just really no room, or, or we were packed wall to wall with children in our house. Um, so we, we didn't know what direction we were supposed to go. I mentioned it to the kids one night, and my son Caden, he was first to just pop off and say, oh yes, German is supposed to come live with us. I will move out and I'll move into the living room, and um, he can have my room. And we were thinking, no way, we're not gonna have our son live in the living room, that's crazy. Um, so we just kind of stopped right then. Um, TJ said, you know, maybe we're just supposed to try to find German a home. So we started asking people at, at the church, you know, do you know somewhere where German can live? We, we have a boy that needs a place to live. And um, just nothing really perspired from there. So um, we weren't really sure what to do. Um, another thing is we were thinking, should we build onto our house? That wasn't a possibility. Um, so we were like, Lord, I don't know why you're giving us this desire that we're supposed to have German come live with us, yet we don't know how. This is absolutely impossible. Um, I was thinking, man, we have this huge dog at our house. He's going to eat German alive. He's like real aggressive. And um, it was so funny. My son even said, Mom, you have such little faith. You know, if God wants German to come live at our house, he can make that dog friendly. And so I thought, man, you know, you're probably right. So what do you say when your son says that to you? So um, Josh Jones had actually come over to the house during this time when we had gotten that phone call and he didn't know what was going on but he had decided that he wanted Caden to come live with him and um, I thought well I didn't say anything about it and Caden did he decided he wanted to move out and go live with Josh and I just thought, well, that's not gonna last very long. He'll be back in a week or two. He's only 18, so it probably won't last very long. But um, it, it did, he's still gone. And um, we, we kind of just mentioned it to German one day. We we'd started picking him up for, for church, and um, I'd mentioned, you know, German, if you wanna come stay with us, you can. And nothing really went on from there. Um, the next week, he had called on a Saturday night and asked, you know, what time are you gonna come pick me up? Uh, for church tomorrow morning and I said well we'll probably be there around 8:30." and I hung up the phone and I could tell he seemed a little sad and so um, I told TJ oh that was German and TJ said why don't you just call him back and see if he wants to stay the night tonight I said okay so I called him back and I said hey German do you want to stay the night tonight and he said okay so I went and I picked him up and that next morning um, we were in worship service and singing and just praising the Lord and German turned around to me and said do you remember that time when you asked me if I wanted to come stay at your house? And I said, yeah. And he said, okay. I said, okay. So um, he moved in that day and he's been with us, living with us since that point. Um, things have really changed in our household since Germans come live with us. Um, I have absolute peace. I know for a fact that German is supposed to be with us. Um, God's just opened up amazing doors um, for us to be his legal guardian. It was. A struggle at first we weren't sure and we really prayed about it but God's just made it so simple our whole family has come together um, to pick him up from school and 
um, working together to make sure we're taking care of him. We're, we've really bonded as a family trying to take care of German and make sure that his needs are met. And so our, our whole family is just um, being blessed by him living with us. See, my family, my family is, 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 is really not a, a good family because they do a whole lot of bad stuff. They, 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 they do drug abuse and everything. And, and and with me living with them, that right there, like like that that's a total that's a total life life changer. Why don't you stand to your feet? I I wonder if that's what Jesus was talking about when he said the second great commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. You know, the starting place for her story, if you remember, she said, I, I was a sponsor of a first priority club at school. First priority is a, is, are, are Christian clubs that meet at school, having the same constitutional rights as any other club. But there's the groups that meet there. And what, 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 where the story began is a woman who goes to church decided to take her Christianity out of the church building into her life. And she just started a Bible club. She wasn't looking to adopt kids or, or fill up her house. She just wanted to have a Bible club. Now, here's the deal. We, we can't love everybody in this world. We can't love every person in, that lives in every dump in America. You can't uh, adopt every troubled kid in America. But every once in a while, God brings someone across your pathway. My wife felt it about the young man that was standing on the street corner, and she bought him something to eat. They felt it after the little boy didn't have a place to go. It happens. According to the scripture, one day somebody's thirsty and all you do is give them a bottle of water. Another day somebody's hungry you share food. Another day somebody doesn't have clothing. Maybe their house burned down. Another day somebody's Another day, somebody's sick or in the hospital. And each time, the love of God flows through us to the person that God just nudged you about. And I tell you, friends, that's what Christianity is about. James, the brother of Jesus, said pure religion was helping orphans and widows and keeping yourself unspotted from the world. My prayer in this Christmas season is that your life would be filled with joy but you would let that same love and joy overflow into the people around you. Just bow your heads just a moment. And I want to encourage you to do this. Just put your hand on your heart as a way of symbolizing, saying, Lord, I, I want you to give me compassion. I don't want to just act out of obligation or duty, but I, I want to see people like Jesus did. And I give you the right to change me, Lord. The parts of me, Lord, that are maybe selfish and stingy, I, I pray, God, that you would make me unselfish and generous. The parts of me, Lord, that are maybe prejudiced, I, I ask you to help me see beyond the walls that society's created. Whatever it may be, Lord, I pray that you would give me the heart of God because in the blink of an eye, I'll stand before you on that great day in the mass of humanity. And I want to be found as a believer in Christ on the side, having fed and clothed and shown hospitality in the name of Christ.
Jesus' name. Amen. We'll close with one final song, but we'd like to offer an opportunity for personal prayer before you go if you'd like that. I find that when we open the Bible and we talk about life, the Holy Spirit is speaking, and oftentimes it demands some type of personal response. We'd be honored to pray with you about anything in this altar call, but it could well be that maybe on the flip side of the message, maybe it brought up some old feelings of rejection or failure, things that you've just kind of repressed down, and, and, and you need to get healed. Maybe you're in a hard time of life. You just want God to just come fresh into this area. It's a great way to connect with God. The most important prayer we'd like to pray for you that are here today about your spiritual life, about whether or not you'll go to heaven or not. You see, it's not about being a member of this church or even being baptized in water. It's about believing in Jesus Christ and receiving Him as your Savior. As good as it is to go to church, church won't get you to heaven. How many know it's those that receive Christ uh, I'm going to see my mom and dad at Christmas, and I, I sure hope mom still has a present for me under the tree. I bet she will. But how many know mom can go out of her way and buy the perfect present and leave it under the tree? But unless I open that present, I'll never get the use of it. Whatever it is, it never until I receive it. But Jesus has offered the gift of eternal life after he died on the cross and said, It is finished. And that means that the door is open for every individual that would choose to believe in Christ and turn and follow Him. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you need to do what I did on August 15, 1976, the defining moment of my life when I ceased becoming religious and just going to church and praying when I was in trouble, but when I surrendered my life to Christ and I've been following ever since. If that's you, I'm going to encourage you, as soon as we begin to sing this song, slip out of your chair and meet someone at the cross. It'll be the greatest step you've ever made in your life. We're going to pray now. Go ahead and begin to sing, Pastor Nick. Our prayer team is coming to the front. If you need prayer, just slip out of your chair. We're here. If you need to make a step to Christ, we'll meet you at the cross. I love you. Thanks for coming today.